That's good. All right. All right, we're going to be in uh, the book of Galatians this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. It's where we left off last week, Galatians 5, and we're going to pick up verses uh, 16 through 26 today. But we're for the sake of uh, context, we're going to pick back up in 14. The children are dismissed to Children's Church. I almost forgot. All right. Daylight in the dollar store on that one. Have, they've already gone. Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 through 26 is what we're going to read. And uh, we left off last week uh, talking about what God has called us to do in the New Testament context, and that is to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and to love others. And we spent some time delving into the verses that the New Testament calls us to on how we are to love. what that means, preferring one another, praying for one another, all those different things. And if you were like me, you arrived at the end of that saying there's absolutely no possible way I can do that in my own strength and power. I will fall flat on my face. And that is exactly what Paul is writing as well, that if we try to do those things, to love as Jesus has loved, right, the new commandment that he gave his disciples in John 13, love as I have loved you, that sacrificial love, if we are to do that, it's not within our own strength. It is within the power, the enabling power, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God the Spirit indwells the heart of every believer. And he doesn't just come and, and dwells, but he is there to lead us and guide us, to convict us, to direct us into all truth, and to ultimately transform us from the inside out to make us more into the image of Jesus so, so that we can love as God has called us to love. And so that is the context in which we're we're uh, um, going to read these things today, and just for sake of context, we go back to verse 14 in Galatians chapter 5, where the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. And what a great thing we left on last week, how we have a choice, each and every one of us can spend our our energy and our and our passions and our things on seeking the things to strive for the things that God is calling us to and loving others serving others as Christ has loved us praying for others so our actions and our attitudes and our our thoughts are concerned about others and they're good to lift people up not tear them down with our words all those things that we t- talked about last week that can be our our desire as a Christian to, to pursue those things. Or we can easily just default back to the flesh where our energies and our affections and our, our, the, the things that we do are still focused on people, but it's a negative thing. As in verse 15, instead of serving them, we, we can bite and devour one another. And he says, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. So what is it going to be? How are we going to spend our life? It is up to each and every one of us to, to engage the spirit, to strive, to walk in the spirit as we'll be talking about today. To have the enabling power to, to live what God has called us out so that we are living in the power of the spirit and not in our flesh. And it's so easy to do. Verse 16, I say then, he says, how do you do this? How do you love others as, as, your, as yourself? How do you love as Christ has loved? I say then, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I have warned you before. Those things, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. If you're in Christ Jesus today, you have the Spirit of God within you. And these fruits can be displayed in your life in an ever more consistent manner. Because that is what Scripture teaches us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. What are we to do? Love God, love others. The first descriptor of the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so we see two contrasts, two different times that Paul contrasts the fact that we can either do one or the other. We can walk in the Spirit or we can and, and have our, our, our energies directed towards building people up and serving one another in the power of the Spirit. Or we can just be those who are concerned about others and what they're doing and what they're not doing provoking one another and envying one another. And so my prayer this morning is that we, as we engage the scripture, that we all individually and collectively as a church strive to be, to walk in the spirit, to be led by the spirit. Those are the things that God, Paul is, uh, is writing here, that we are to walk and be led by the spirit, to walk in step with the spirit, Galatians 5.16 is the clear call of that. I say then walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. We see here Paul is, in verse 17, saying that there is a war, a battle going on, because when we get saved, we encounter Jesus in a saving way. We understand our need for a Savior, that he paid the penalty, and so we by faith believe and trust in his accomplished work, his atonement that he made on the cross. And in doing so, a miraculous work happens of the power of the Spirit, a regeneration. Uh, it's wrote in Titus that the Holy Spirit regenerates us, makes us a new creature in Christ. And I was so excited to hear that when I got saved. And then I went out the next day to work, and I fell back into my same old habits that I had before I was saved. I'm like, well, I guess I still sin because the promise of salvation, the promise of the glory of being living without sin uh, for those of us who are in, on this earth has not fully come to fruition. 
we have a battle going on. We still have that heart of flesh that we're born with. The one that's separated from God, that wants nothing to do with God, that wants to, to rule and reign instead of allowing the Lord Jesus to rule and reign in our hearts. It's in us, and it battles the spirit, the spirit, the new heart that he has given us. There's a battle going on. But I promise you, I can say this because it's in Scripture, that those he justified, he also will glorify. One day, one day we will be out without the struggle of our sin. We will sin no more. God will accomplish that perfect salvation. Well, there'll be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more battling of sin. That is to come. In the presence of Jesus or if when he comes back, that is the fruition, that is the promise given to us in Scripture that there is coming a day. But until then... Scriptures teach us how to walk with this to these two different hearts and how to battle the heart of the flesh, to, to kill it off, to see that as we have died with Christ, we are no longer under sin's power. And if we're being led by the Spirit, we're in the, under the spirit, power of the Spirit, and we can vanquish to a great degree those, those fleshly desires that we have because of the Spirit working within us. And he says here, these are opposed to each other. So the spirit and the heart of flesh, they're opposed to one another. And then he says, so that you don't do what you want. In Romans 7, Paul talks about his battle with his heart of flesh. He says, the things I want to do, I know to do, I don't do. And the things I know I shouldn't do, I do. Who is going to deliver me? And then he says, the Lord Jesus Christ will deliver him ultimately. But it's the same battle that we have. And we are, as Paul is calling us, to, to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to surrender to Him more and more each day, taking the opportunity when we know we're in the flesh, we see the fruit of the flesh, right? He's listed it for us. We have an outburst of anger. We could easily just say, ah, I'm just mad. Or we can say, Lord, I just proved that I'm in the flesh right now. Lord, God, help me to walk in the Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit, God, that I may walk in your power and not my own. Sometimes it's as simple as that. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Reminds me of Galatians uh, three, chapter or chapter three, verse three. He says, "Remember, he's writing to these churches that have allowed false teachers to come in. Who said you also you need Jesus? Yes, he's your Messiah, but you also need to add to the laws of Moses to to what you're doing. You need to do your part too, and then Jesus will save you. You need to fulfill the your works of the, the of the Old Testament, circumcision and other things." And Paul preached the gospel message, the gospel, a clear declaration that salvation is not by works, but it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ's accomplished work alone. He walked into these churches or to these synagogues in these areas of these cities in the Galatian region, and he proclaimed the good news that Jesus has paid it all. We sang about it this morning. Jesus paid it all. It is a gift extended to us. And these 
believers believe these things, but then they allow these teachers to come in and begin to corrupt the gospel. Say, no, you need to add your part of it too. And his question to them is this, are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? All of us, I hope all of us, and if, if that doesn't include you this morning, I pray today would be the day when you would trust, when you turn from your own ways and your own wane and morality and all those things, and you would trust in Christ's accomplished work alone. It is the only means in which God has made a way for you to be reconciled to him by trusting in Christ's accomplished work alone. And these these believers believe that, and then they begin to be allow these teachings, these false teachings that you need to add your contribution to, and that is, uh, as we have uh, tirelessly worked out in this letter, Paul says, you cannot mix the two. If you add works of the law to grace, you have fallen from grace. He begins in Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians 3, this, this question so we know, and, and those have, who encountered Christ in the saving way, we know, I pray you know what it is to encounter Christ in this way where you know you're a sinner, you know you deserve just uh, eternal condemnation because you've offended and sinned against a holy and eternal God. You see that, the Spirit's convicted you of that, and then you've turned and received Christ as the means in which God has made a way. It is through the Spirit's convicting power and regeneration that we become new creatures in Christ. And we should all be able to, or at least be able to testify to the fact that the Spirit has done this. The Spirit alone is the means in which we can be born from above, born again. And Paul's question is, look, the Spirit did this to you. Are you now finishing by the flesh? Are you now going to say, God, I got this. I'm going to show everybody how to be a good Christian because that's what I did when I first got saved. I reverted right back to legalism. Okay, God saved me. So grateful for it. Now I'm going to show everybody around me how good of a Christian I can be. And I picked up this pursuit of legalism and righteousness in my own account and not re re uh, relying on the Spirit of God within me to transform me from the inside out. I was about uh, demonstrating to everybody around me how good I was. And I was finishing what God has started by the Spirit in my flesh. And thank God he delivered me from it. But it was a painful lesson. And I think all of us can attest to the fact that we can easily slip into this. That we're trying, we're striving, we're, we're having to do our own stuff to, to, uh, to change and be more like Jesus. And, and, you know, we don't see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so we work on being more joyful and we're, we're trying to do it. And instead, we go back to this, what Paul says. The Spirit began a work in you. It is he that is within you that will complete the work. If we only are led and are filled and walk by the power of the Spirit. So what does that look like? What does that mean to be walking the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit? All these different commands of the Scriptures constantly telling the believer Walk in the Spirit. Paul has a more robust explanation, I believe, in 2 Corinthians 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 2 Corinthians 3. 
verses 6 through 17. Because I can tell you all day long, I can stand up here and yell at you, say, be filled with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. But what does that mean? How do we do that? I gave an explanation earlier, and this is what, uh, honestly, you're, uh, I, I fall short. I, I, last night, I sat there and I prayed for over a half hour. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. I don't want to talk about being filled with the Spirit without being filled with the Spirit when I preached last night. And I walk in, and the internet was down, 10 minutes to go, and the camera wasn't working, and so I find myself mad and frustrated, right? All those things, the fruit of the flesh in full display. And then I was reminded, what are you preaching on tonight? So easily we can slip into that. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And so, and I, I easily slip into that. Maybe you guys have a better uh, way of doing that, but, uh, but for me, I slip into my flesh very easily. And the only thing that I can do uh, just in a practical way is recognize that the fruit I'm demonstrating at that moment is not of the Spirit. It's of my flesh. And instead of carrying on and feeling justified in that, I need to send up a prayer, right? Paul calls us to pray always. Lord, I'm in my flesh. Forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. I want to use this time and this opportunity right now to reflect you and your goodness and not my own. I can't do it in my own strength, Lord. Help me. But Paul says this, in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. He, Jesus, has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, the New Testament, the glorious gospel that Jesus has made a way. Not of the letter. He's again contrasting what Jesus has done through the promise of Abraham versus the, the letter of the law, of the Mosaic law. He's contrasting it yet again to the Corinthian church. We're ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, right? The law demonstrates to us how sinful we truly are. I compare myself with, with uh, other people and say, I'm doing pretty good compared to the murder in jail or whatever like that. But when it comes to the eyes of a holy God, to, to, uh, becomes to, uh, when it becomes apparent, uh, when you look and gaze on the holiness of God, You see how drastically we fall short. The holiness of God is reflected in his law. And the law demonstrates that we all have sinned. We all fall short. It brings condemnation. We all deserve an eternity in hell, separated from God because of our sin. That's what we truly deserve. But God has made a way. Through Jesus, if you trust and receive him, he paid your penalty for you. And in that, doing that, the Spirit gives you a new heart, a new life, a, adopted into God's family. You're regenerated. And so we are no longer of the letter and under condemnation. God has made us free from that. And we now walk in newness of life in the Spirit. It's something to smile about. God has made us free. We're no longer of the letter or under that condemnation of sin, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And now if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily on Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, 
how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Paul's taking them back to the Old Testament uh, um, uh, event where Moses went up to Mount Sinai and, and God gave him the Ten Commandments, the law. When he came back down off the mountain, he came to the children of Israel and, and the children of Israel were like, hey, cover your face. Because God's glory was shined. He was, Moses was so close to God's glory that his radiance, his flesh was reflecting the glory of God. And they're like, cover your face. It's too overwhelming. The children of Israel were saying that to, to Moses. But then as you follow that story along, you'll see that Moses continued to cover his face, not because of the glory stayed, but because the glory was slowly fading away. When he was in the presence of God, his glory, he reflected God's glory. But that was a temporary reflection because it was a physical, outward manifestation. And what Paul is setting this up here for the fact is that because we have the spirit of God within us, the glory of God is so much more amazing than this display that Moses had because it is forever. We get to reflect God's glory forever and ever. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? That is who we are as Christians. We have this amazing gift and power that given to us to walk in the enabling power of the Spirit. He goes on in verse 9. For if the ministry that brought condemnation, the, the law, had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. He's saying the thing that we have, the, the presence of God within us is far surpassing than this temporary manifestation of a God's glory in Moses' face. It far surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, the Old Testament, what endures will be even more glorious. And I think it's amazing that we stand as benefactors of this marvelous gift. I just can't get over it. What he has done. This thing that he's done within us, the spirit of God within us, is forever. What endures will be even more glorious. I'm, I hearken back to, we've uh, gone over 2 Corinthians 13 for the last two weeks about love is patient, love is kind, all those things. And then he gets to the end and he says, and above all, Love never fails. Love endures. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. He's in the midst of 2 Corinthians 13. is in the midst of uh, Paul describing all the, the gifts of the Spirit, the, uh, the different gifts that God gives his people. And he says all these things are just going to come a time when all these things are going to fade away. But love, love never ends. Because the Spirit of God is within us. And if we allow him to display in a more consistent manner in our lives, the, his fruit that he desires to display in our it will never end. It's amazing. Verse 12, so then when we have such a hope, 
we act with great boldness. I hope this gives you hope. Oh, this morning. I hope looking at this, you can see what God desires to do within us through the power of the Spirit. It should cause us to act with great boldness towards seeing these promises given to us and by faith believing that he, this is truly what he desires because if you're like me, you know your walk in this world uh, it, it severely lacks to what he's calling us to. Welcome to humanity. But we can take these promises wherever we're at in our walk with Jesus and by faith trust and believe that this is what God wants to do with my life. I'm not going to listen to the naysayers out there who try to define me other ways. This is who I am in Christ. This is what God desires all of us to have in our life. And we should have great boldness that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He goes on in verse 13. We are not like Moses who used to put, all, put the veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steady until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. The children of Israel, they're, they're, they were hardened for this for to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. So there's those who are stuck in legalism. They want the law. They want their checkboxes. They want to know that they have earned their way into a relationship with their Creator. And their minds and hearts are hardened. It's a veil that they are unable to see the glorious demonstration of God's goodness in Christ Jesus. They just can't see it. They must have their part in it as well. And then he says this, the good news, it is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. That veil can be lifted, but it's only set aside in Christ. Verse 15, yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Anybody in this room have that happen to them? Serving a life of legalism, trying to do religion, and seeing God break through in the glorious richness of the gospel in Jesus Christ. The veil is removed. We are removed from the bondage and condemnation of the law, and we are set free. Now the Lord is the Spirit. I love this verse. Often, Paul references in Romans 8 that the, the spirit that was within us is, the, is uh, uh, the spirit of Christ, our Lord. Uh, Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 5, I believe, that the spirit is often referred to as the spirit of Christ. He's, the spirit's, uh, one of the, his major roles is to point people to Jesus, to say, He's the way. Convict them of their sin and then say, Jesus is the way. He speaks and talks of Jesus in our hearts, in our, in our in a spiritual understanding, lifting the veil. In verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'll never, I hope, I pray, I never forget that day when the condemnation of my sin was lifted off my shoulders. And then the following morning, waking up and realizing God indeed did that for me. I'm free in Christ. He paid my penalty. No longer under the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of my sin. 
And instead of wanting to live however I want to live, because the more I sin, the more grace will abound. No. I want to reflect his love that he gave me to this world who desperately needs him. That's the new heart talking. And I pray that's the same for you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So how do we walk in the Spirit? If there's, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How do we do it? He, Paul, Paul, I just like the, the simplicity of this next verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, and we all, with unveiled face, remember he's comparing Moses and his veil and uh, him covering the glory and that was reflecting. He says, well, us in the New Testament context, our face is unveiled. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Notice it doesn't say, try to be more like Jesus. You see Jesus work to be more like him. Read your Bible more and, and then you'll be more like Jesus. If you pray like the scriptures call you to pray, instead we see this personal happening of what it means walk in relationship with Jesus it's a relationship and he says we behold the glory of the Lord we're already there I pray you've already had the glory of the Lord demonstrated in your life sometimes we just need to stop working trying to be better and behold the glory of our Lord think on what he's done for you Think on his desire to save others, to demonstrate his love to you, and just behold his glory. And as we behold his glory, this is what scripture says, we are being transformed into the same image. As we behold the glory of Jesus. Moses was on Mount Sinai in the presence of God. His physical manifestation of God's glory shined out upon us. But what Paul, Paul is saying here is that as we behold the glory of our Lord, spiritually speaking, the Spirit transforms us into the same image from one degree of glory to another, step by step. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, but it's step by step. It's not a miraculous, all of a sudden you're changed. It's step by step. But it calls Paul is calling us to behold the glory of God. Remain in this presence. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? He says, remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. We are to abide in Christ. We are to behold his glory. And so we go to the scriptures, not just to check off a box, but to behold the glory of our Savior. We desire to see his glory, and it's found in his word. We go to prayer to behold his glory, to have relationship, to speak to him. Jesus would go on to say in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. 
where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Paul goes on to say in verse, the next verse, or at the end of verse 18, I guess, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Remember that question I asked, or Paul asked in Galatians 3, verse 3? Have you, starting in the Spirit, are you now going to complete it in your flesh? It's the same. This transformation, this desire to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit that we just read about instead of walking in the fruit of the flesh can only be done through the transforming power of the Spirit. And Paul says in St. Corinthians, the, the first step that we need to do as we strive to do that is to behold the glory of God. Behold the glory of our Lord. And so... In the closing minutes here, I just want to do that. I want to behold our Lord this morning. Paul writes in Colossians, and he just gives this just beautiful, uh, marvelous description of a God, of our Lord Jesus. And this is how we are changed, right? We behold the glory of God. So let's just behold Jesus this morning. Colossians 1, 9 through 22. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Paul's writing to this church. And Paul says it so much more eloquently than I. But I want you to know that this is my prayer for you guys and for my family and for our church. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with His power, not our own, according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance, patience, joy, these fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit demonstrates in our life as we're led by Him and walk in Him. Giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Thank you, God, for what you've done for us. What has He done for us? He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He removed the veil. We are no longer in darkness we are children of the light. And he's transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I pray today would be the day when you would abandon your hope in everything else. And man's religions, your, your righteousness and trust in Christ alone because this is what he has done for us in him we have redemption he purchased our eternity for us we have forgiveness of sins and then Paul describes who Jesus is in verse 15 behold the glory of your Lord he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. 
for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible. We live in a beautiful area. We can go up into the Teton National Park and Tara and I could get lost for months if we didn't have other responsibilities. That's his creation. That's the Lord's creation. It demonstrates his handiwork, his glory. We get to go to those places all around this world and see his marvelous creation. We get to look up at the sky and the comets and the, the billions of stars and all those things. And, and those who are outside of the Lord, it stops there. They say, wow, Mother Nature, sir, is great. But for the Christian, we roll that up to the glory of God. Wow, God has spoke this into existence. Declares his glory. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the creator God. And it's, everything has been created through him and for him. It is for God's glory. We have been created because everything has been created for him. So we have been created to reflect God's glory through the Spirit that dwells within the heart of every believer. It can enable us to do so. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have preeminence First place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him on this earth, in his body. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He does not say, his blood shed on the cross after all that you can do. He has made the way. He has provided salvation. All we must do is receive him this morning. Once you were alienated, once, for those of us who are in Christ, we were once alienated and hostile in our minds as expressed in our evil actions. Again, the law demonstrates that to us. Thou shalt not lie. We've all lied. But now, he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. That's the hardest one to believe by faith, isn't it? Did God the Father really, because I'm in Christ Jesus, when he, really, when he looks at me, does he really not see how wicked I am anymore? Because I can be pretty wicked still after salvation. I still have the battle, the heart of the battle going on inside of me. But positionally, this was our, what our Christ has done. Behold his glory. This is what he's extended to you. When the Father looks at you, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are clothed in the righteousness of God. He sees you as holy faultless and blameless 
before him because Jesus paid it all. And because of that, it's all to him we owe. Let us live our life for the glory of God. Let us behold him. How do you walk in the spirit? Well, I'm going to endeavor to just spend some more time just instead of trying to get through a chapter, I just want to go to a section of scripture and just meditate on who Jesus is and behold his glory. Because if that's how the Holy Spirit's going to transform me, then that's what I need to do. I need to strive after that, knowing that he's going to be doing the work within me. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful. Thankful for what you've done for us in Jesus. We're thankful that you've left, left us your word, your inspired 